third episode of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your host, Carl Mamer. As I said in podcast one, this is going to be about a 12-part series on the big conspiracy theories of today and in times past. I'm 41 years old, and one of the first conspiracy theories I remember hearing back in the 1970s was the cure for cancer had been found, but the drug companies have been suppressing it. The reason given is drug companies, you know, nasty for-profit enterprises, find it much more profitable to treat cancer, treat any disease in fact, instead of curing it. Now off the bat, we have the problem that drug companies, usually just labeled by the conspiracy mongers as Big Pharma, have been sitting on a cure for 30 years, a cure they discovered 30 years ago with relatively primitive medical technology. No clever grad student in academia has ever stumbled upon it in the last three decades, with increasingly sophisticated technology at their disposal. It's a bit like saying IBM could keep the lid on object-oriented programming or the quicksort algorithm for 30 years, and no one in computer science could ever independently discover the solution. This is ludicrous on the face of it. In fact, if you look at a lot of Nobel Prize winners, many are shared between two scientists who independently arrived at the same discovery, and the committee felt it fair to offer the award to both. It also assumes Big Pharma operates in a world completely cut off from mainstream science. Science is a pretty public endeavor. Big Pharma doesn't just have secret labs in the Nevada desert where it flies in scientists. Big Pharma funds a great deal of public research. Also, if you're a scientist working for a big pharma lab and discovered the cure for cancer, wouldn't you, like, quit and reveal it to the world? A Nobel Prize would be only the first in a very long stream of professional and financial accolades waiting for the scientists who cured cancer. While some might argue any scientist who tried this would be persecuted by big pharmas, you know, men in black, let's not forget a Nobel Prize tends to confer a certain untouchable status. And really, what scientist doesn't want his name added to the list that includes Pasteur, Bantic and Best, Watson and Crick, Salk? Another flaw of this conspiracy is the unstated major premise that Big Pharma is a monolith. It's treated as one company with one goal in mind and eliminates the notion of competition. Let's take a step back and look at the auto industry. It's certainly more profitable for car companies to build cars that rust and fall apart every four years which is pretty much what the North American auto industry did in the 60s and 70s. Now, if you want to break into the market, do you just introduce another sure-rust car? No. You do what Honda and Toyota did. You introduce cheaper cars that last longer. So let's apply this basic of gaining market entry to the drug world. Let's say, for example, drug company A has a very profitable drug to merely treat cancer, and it's been sitting on the cure. Does company B just make a Me Too product? Why not introduce an actual cure, taking the whole market and destroying company A's cash cow? Many companies are happy to take a massive loss on a product to destroy another company's cash cow. Microsoft is legendary for giving away free what a competing company was selling for a profit. And who is to say there is no profit? A lot of people have cancer. This is not a small disease. And if the cure has been sitting on the shelf for 30 years, it's probably pretty cheap to make with modern technology, no? And a cure for cancer is not like eliminating the polio virus. Once it goes away, there's no more money to be had. People are always going to get cancer. You have about a 9% chance of getting cancer before your 59th birthday. That's a customer base in the USA of 27 million guaranteed, with about 1.2 million new customers added per year. You wouldn't market a product that captures nearly 10% of the American public? Apple Computer sure tries. Even better, if there's a cure for cancer, maybe the risks people no longer take, like smoking, will prompt people to start again. More people will get cancer, more people will need to buy the drug. And then, 
Consider all the companies out there that have to bend over backwards to avoid increasing cancer risks. Wouldn't you go to the petrochemical and nuclear industries and big tobacco and say, hey look, if we release this cancer cure, we're going to take it in the butt, but you guys will prosper. So why not kick some cash our way? Or better still, why not buy us outright? Make all the stock-owning board members and research scientists crazy rich. These kinds of trades are not uncommon. For example, computer games drive sales for Intel chips. It costs a lot of money to develop a computer game these days. Intel is more than happy to subsidize game companies to develop games that really push the boundaries of chip technology. Or if you had a cure for cancer and released it, I guarantee you tobacco stocks would rise the next day. If I were the CEO of a pharma company, I would sell my house, my wife and kids, buy up every share of Imperial Tobacco and Philip Morris I could lay my hands on, and then announce the cure has been found. Seriously, if we are to posit pharma companies are run by short-sighted, avarice-filled men, why wouldn't they line their pockets overnight in this fashion? Don't some CEOs already sack their own companies for personal gain? And if there was such a cheap cure, what would prevent tobacco companies from getting in on the action and making the drug themselves? You sell a lot more jam when you bundle it with peanut butter. You'd sell a lot more cigarettes if you bundled it with the miracle cure for cancer. I brought up polio a bit ago for good reason. Before the polio vaccine pretty much eliminated the disease from the Western world, polio used to fill whole wings of hospitals. The disease was something of a cash cow for the medical community, I'd wager. Heart surgeons used to make a lot of money curing angina with a procedure where they would tie off certain blood vessels around the heart. It was later discovered this procedure did nothing. Relief from angina was a result of the placebo effect. Why didn't they keep silent? Now, yes, I have no doubts Big Pharma puts profits first. All corporations do this. And all corporations do this, at times, to the detriment of society. This is why we have regulation. Cars would be a lot cheaper without airbags, crumple zones, and seat belts. In the drug world, there are all kinds of regulations. These regulations are there by public demand. The drug companies, I'm sure, would be happy not to have them. So it takes a long time and a lot of money to bring a drug to market. First, there's the research. Then there's a three-phase testing program. Then there's post-approval data collection. It can take a decade and cost tens of millions of dollars. All because of regulation. Now here's the thing. Drugs come to market because private companies risk their own money and the money of investors. If there were no private companies risking money to research and test new drugs on the assumption there's a future profit, where would our drugs come from? The state would have to step in and create a public pharmaceutical company. I, for one, am not so sure the most efficient way to develop new drugs is tax-supported government labs. We are content to let private companies grow our food, produce our electricity, make our cars, run our airlines. We do this because governments are notoriously inefficient. So for those who decry a desire for profit, you got a better way to bring new drugs to market safely? The system ain't perfect, but what's the alternative? Now what about this notion that there are natural cures and the medical establishment is suppressing them? This notion has most recently been expressed in Kevin Trudeau's best-selling book, Natural Cures They Don't Want You to Know About. Now the funny thing about Trudeau's book, despite the title, the earlier editions didn't actually reveal the cures. It was mostly a screed against Big Pharma, the AMA, the FDA. To get the cures, you then had to cough up more money on Trudeau's website. Now, if you don't know already, Trudeau has a pretty big criminal history for consumer fraud. Check his Wikipedia entry. Is that the guy you want to be taking health advice from? If your doctor had such a criminal past, he probably couldn't even get into medical school, let alone retain a license. And herein lies another problem. 
The people telling you that Big Pharma is out to bleed you dry are themselves out to bleed you dry. The enemy of my enemy must be my friend, right? The unstated premise the alternative medicine crowd floats is, since they are not big evil scientists working for the FDA, they would never ever rip you off. Since Big Pharma are the bad guys, then they must be the good guys. The alt-medicine crowd relies on the public to assume a dichotomy where none exists. Unlike Big Pharma, which has to demonstrate the safety and effectiveness of its drugs, a guy making up a batch of magic beet juice in his bathtub and selling it for $200 a bottle needs to demonstrate nothing. He doesn't even have to prove it contains what he claims it contains. Check out, for example, a webpage called micronutra.com. I'll put a link to, to it on the website. The site is selling two bottles of something called Diamaxol to control your blood sugar if you have diabetes. Two bottles will run you $224 retail or $149.95 if you order online. Otter, this product does not promise a cure. It's only an all-natural drug to treat the symptoms. Assuming it works, and, and let's not even assume that, isn't that what conspiracy types accuse Big Pharma of doing? lining their pockets with drugs you have to take every day that merely treat the symptoms? Weirder, this product would in no way be covered by your drug plan. So you're going to be out of pocket if you take this over, say, medically prescribed insulin. The cure for cancer conspiracy really crept back into the public mind around January 2007, when Canada's CBC TV network did a report about a University of Alberta researcher who found an inexpensive drug called DCA had good cancer-fighting results in a test tube and then rats. DCA could be made for pennies a pound, and it's out of patent protection. The CBC reporter doing the story, not a pharmaceutical expert, concluded this drug had no help of making it to market, as no pharma company would want to spend $100 million on trials of a generic drug. The story made it into the blogosphere, and well, the rest was history. To the credit of the Alberta scientist, he has bent over backwards denying he's got the cure for cancer. He's simply a researcher investigating the potential of using DCA for chemotherapy, and a news reporter got the story 100% wrong. The deal is all kinds of drugs work wonders in a test tube, but don't even make it past animal testing. We heard about this potential stillborn wonder drug because some CBC reporter wanting to pump up Canadian science happened to stumble on it. So the conspiracy people like to argue generic drugs, drugs that can't be patented, are doomed because of the profit motive. First, DCA is cheap, but someone sure is making it. Presumably they're making it for a profit, Aspirin is pretty cheap stuff, and not under patent protection, but people are making that for a profit. Oats is pretty much a no-brainer, but companies still manage to make very generic, simple food products and then sell them at a profit. It would not be hard to imagine a manufacturer of DCA wanting to sponsor some small trials. While third-stage trials are hugely expensive, first- and second-stage trials can be conducted with small numbers. If a drug has promising results, there are public and charitable funds for such testing. What do you think various cancer charities do with their donations? They fund research. And Canada and America aren't the only games in town. What prevents another nation like Sweden or Japan from funding a study? I'm sure lots of European nations who provide state medical care would rather lower their own tax burden than simply impinge the profits of a drug company. And if great results were coming out of Sweden, do you think America would take notice? Of course they would. Also, DCA is an approved drug. Doctors are not restricted by law in prescribing approved drugs as they see fit. It's 100% in their best interest to follow standards of care and not prescribe drugs untested for cancer, mind you. 
but nothing would prevent a doctor from looking at emerging data and prescribing the drug along with the standard treatment. This also brings up the subject of the standard of care. When people talk about the big pharma conspiracy, they tend to blur the lines between drug companies, practicing doctors, academic research, and medical journals. They tend to cherry pick things that they see as problems and incorporate this into their conspiracy. Doctors, however, don't take their marching orders from big pharma. The standard of care emerges from the medical literature. Most of the literature comes from doctors and biomedical researchers working in academia, not for corporations. Right, so pharma does drop off microwaves and pizzas for the nurses' lounge, takes doctors on free trips. Until recently, drug companies couldn't advertise directly to the public. Imagine, say, the auto industry without the ability to buy expensive TV ads. But you have piles of cash in your marketing budget. How do you promote your new drug? Is this a problem? Yeah. In the music industry, it was called playola. In politics, it's called lobby groups. Again, we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And coming back to DCA, the drug the media branded is doomed. In September 2007, the University of Alberta announced it was starting phase two human trials. And the drug that couldn't be patented? Well, it turns out even if you can't patent a drug, you can patent a method. The U of A doctor has initiated a patent application in this regard. But be warned, fellow skeptics. If the phase two trials prove negative or a larger definitive phase three trial proves negative, this won't sink DCA. Let's consider the last miracle cancer cure. We're going back to the decade of the 80s. We were dancing to the sweet sounds of a flock of seagulls. A young Joe Piscopo was teaching America how to laugh. And a guy named Dr. Gold was teaching America that an inexpensive industrial chemical called hydrazine sulfate was a surefire cancer cure. Some of the scientific data on hydrazine sulfate, heretofore known as HS, looked promising, especially data coming out of the Soviet Union. The National Cancer Institute, the uh, NCI, organized a large study of HS. It got three different research centers to conduct the trials. Multi-centered trials are usually considered the best kinds of studies, removing any kind of doubt about procedural error or even researchers cooking their data. Each study on HS came up negative. Did that wrap it up for Dr. Gold and HS? Not quite. Dr. Gold claimed the NCI purposely sabotaged the trials. See, two of the centers didn't ban their subjects from drinking alcohol. Gold claimed this would reduce the effect of HS. Gold and his HS supporters seemed to kick up so much political stink that Congress got the General Accounting Office, the GAO, to investigate the alleged sabotage. The GAO are those guys that find insane government waste, like the military's paying $500 for a hammer that you could get from Ace Hardware for a fiver. They also did a big investigation of Roswell. The GAO doesn't pull punches and gives you about the fair shake you'll get in government. Anyway, the GAO investigated and concluded that the NCI didn't sabotage the trials. The NCI determined HS wouldn't interact with alcohol and saw no reason to exclude it. The GAO report noted that one of the centers that did not ban alcohol showed the most effects. So if alcohol interfered with HS, then it seems odd a trial that allowed patients to drink had more positive effects than the one trial that banned alcohol. Gold's claims just didn't add up. Gold, of course, didn't take it lying down. He claimed the NCI pulled the wool over the GAO's eyes. Now, the military, with all its secrecy and its ability to obfuscate, like calling a hammer a man-portable precision force projector, can't hide stuff from the GAO. Why should we think a bunch of cancer research point-dexters can beat the Pentagon at its own game? Just ain't gonna happen. <laughs>